turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. All right, welcome, Hour 2, Backbone Radio, Matt Dunn here at your service this October 9th, 2022. It is John Lennon's birthday, the uh, pacifist, the anti-war guy, and we're standing here on the brink of Armageddon, according to Joe Biden himself. And of course, Joe Biden's press people, his handlers had to come out and massage that and explain that away, and it created a big flurry of phone calls to Russia to try to smooth over any uh, you know anybody who's got an itchy trigger finger anywhere, and we just what what a mess, folks. But more importantly, it's my sweet mother's birthday, and we had a big celebration last night, and that's that's the real birthday. And happy birthday, mom, with all of our love from over here. And I don't know. I just I wanted to get in one thing. Uh, this Nord Stream pipeline business, who really thinks that Russia blew up their own pipeline? Who thinks that out there? Um, right now, you have this insane spectacle of the intelligence apparatus and the Biden is trying to say, oh, it looks like Russia is the most likely prospect of who did that, when I think everybody knows, everybody knows that it was the United States of America that did it. Can I say for sure? No, but everybody knows it. But you've got the entirety of the media pretending otherwise. The Nord Stream pipeline runs from Russia. It's the big pipeline of natural gas into Europe. It enters, I believe, in the northern part of Germany. And, um, man, the scale of pretending going on. The same people who told you that Russia got Trump elected What a fraud, what a hoax. The same people that told you that Russia used Hunter Biden's laptop for disinformation, what a lie, what a a pathetic hoax that ended up being. That statement they did right before the election are the, the same people that are saying, well, yeah, Russia blew up their own pipeline. And I know because I was I was out, I missed last week and I know this has been discussed a bit this week, but I just I wanted to just get a little bit of that in there. And maybe, I don't know, does anybody have a sense? I mean, how clear-cut is this one? You know, if you actually think that Russia did that, and you're going to believe the people like John Brennan, who've been lying through their teeth every day for years, that's how he makes his living as a media consultant and so forth in his post-CIA years. It's like the people that actually believe and swallow the propaganda, swallow this one. I don't know. They get wrapped into these bizarre pretzels of not being able to understand, like, the first thing about reality, folks. But um, I'll just just submit to you this, where um, Joe Biden, um, he he actually, um, in February of uh, 2022, this year, he said, you know, hey, if Russia invades Ukraine, if Russia invades, well, that that Nord Stream pipeline is going to go away. It's going to be going away. Oh, really? Hmm. 
So, um, but let's just hear him say this. This goes back to February of 2022. Biden said this. Let me answer the first question first. If Germany, if uh, if Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the uh, the, the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream two. We we will bring an end to it. But how will you how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will. uh, I promise you we'll be able to do it. Yeah. Okay. so Biden says that in February of 2022. And now they're trying to pretend that somehow Russia did this. Folks, um, this should be abundantly obvious, right, to everybody. We're talking very obvious. And by the way, Victoria Nuland also said this in February of 2022. And Victoria Nuland, I've done whole segments on this horrifically evil neoconservative woman who has been embedded around Ukraine policy in the Obama era and now back in the Biden era. One of the worst of the worst, most clueless people, warmonger types, like best friend of people like Liz Cheney, Bill Clinton. She was trained by Strobe Talbot who was Bill Clinton's big mentor on foreign policy, right? Um, she said this, and it looks like I'm missing H10 and H11, Blake, but I'm gonna, I, have it, I have this as a backup side. Let's do it. Here's Tucker Carlson talking about Victoria Newland saying the same thing Biden did. Victoria Newland at the State Department said pretty much the very same thing. Newland is a lifelong war cheerleader. She worked to bring about the Iraq invasion, never apologized, kept going. She helped engineer the coup that overthrew the Ukrainian government some years back. So capable, clearly she's capable of anything. But environmental terrorism, even for Toria Newland, that seemed too much, too extreme. And yet here she is in January. With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. And I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine... One way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Oh, one way or the other, we'll stop Nord Stream. Now, looking back, those words seem chilling eight months later as natural gas pours into the Baltic Sea and into the atmosphere. So you have to ask, could the Biden administration really do something like this? We can't say for sure. We don't know for sure. We can tell you that close allies of the Biden White House believe they certainly did do it. Yep, yep. What do you think, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, we professional deep state sniffer outers, we who understand the fraud, the big lie that is constantly perpetuated on this republic, pounded through the echo chambers of the deep state media. Oh, yeah, this one is not very hard, folks. Now, is it? I was mentioning that CIA John Brennan has come out there and said, oh, yeah, looks like. The number one suspect is uh, is Russia. Here's how the deep state is phrasing this. Brennan, the guy who lies for a living, an absolutely deleterious, evil human being. Do you think Russia is behind the sabotage of the pipelines? Well, I think all the signs point to some type of sabotage. These pipelines are only in about 200 feet or so of water. And Russia does have an undersea capability to that would easily lay explosive devices by those pipelines. And I do think it's a signal to Europe 
that Russia could reach beyond Ukraine's borders. Uh, so uh, who knows what he might be planning next. But I think this is uh, clearly a, a, an act of sabotage of some sort. And, and Russia is certainly the most likely co- uh, suspect. Yeah, right. Blow up their yeah, own right, Brian. If they can obviously just cut off the gas flowing from them. Well, there's been no gas flowing through those pipelines, although there's some gas that's been pent mm-hmm. up in them. That's why we've had the methane release. But there's also pipelines that are going into Europe that are bringing uh, gas from Norway. And so uh, it won't take much if Russia decides to go after the other pipelines that are bringing gas in, into Europe. So I, I think this might be, a, a, again, a, a sign that uh, Russia is intent on doing whatever it believes it needs to do in order to uh, weaken a European resolve. Uh, but I, I think this may be just the, the first salvo of some uh, additional things that uh, might be uh, coming to, toward Europe. There you go. Uh, there's CIA, Brennan. Yeah, Russia is the most likely suspect in this. And do you believe this? You know, this is the guy who said Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation, the guy who spent years saying Russia stole the election for Trump. Do you see how this all makes sense? Do you see why nobody should believe anything that is being said by these people? And do you see how egregious it is and outrageous it is? That uh, too many people buy it. Too many people, even commentators who should know better, buy it. You have got to see through the deep state to understand what in the heck is happening in this world. And it really helps you understand what is going on in Ukraine. And Jeffrey Sachs is an economist, a renowned economist, apparently, at Columbia University. And he says he's on the side of peace. He's on the side of peace. But he's like, you know what? Hey. This was a uh, United States job. That's what the world thinks. That's what I think. And uh, do I have time to play this? Uh, Maybe I do. I'll try to get this in. Well, Europe is in a very, very sharp economic downturn. Uh, The sharp decline of output and living standards also shows up as a rise of prices. But the, the main fact is that the European economy is getting hammered by this, by the sudden cutoff of energy, and now uh, to make it uh, definitive, the destruction of uh, the Nord Stream pipeline, which I I would bet was a U.S. action, perhaps U.S. and, and Poland. Uh, this is yep. uh, and more on this in one second. Yeah, we're just rocking out here at Backbone Radio, Blake and I, doing some headbanging. And Blake asked, who plays guitar on this? And this would be, of course, Randy Rhodes. You know Randy Rhodes, the dude that sadly died in a plane crash not too long after this live performance of the Black Sabbath tune, Paranoid. And I'll tell you what, Blake, you're going to appreciate this, because you know how Weezer always does it better? Did you know that Weezer does this song? Weezer has a version of Paranoid. So I had an intense debate with myself, a self-debate, a host debate should i play the ozzy osbourne randy rhodes version or should i play the weezer version of paranoid tonight and ozzy won ozzy won and that you're okay with that yeah see yeah because you're still not persuaded that weezer does it better entirely and um that will change that will change soon there goes randy randy rhodes at any rate yeah paranoid the psychology of the people on top is uh, essentially untenable, ladies and gentlemen. And I was just playing that Jeffrey Sachs, professor of economics at Columbia, who's on the side of peace. He wants to see peace. He does not want to see Armageddon 
as these people seem to be steering and engineering us towards. And just so you hear that full clip, this blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline is really adding pressure, adding pressure to a potential Armageddon scenario. And in my opinion, this was done by our own people. You heard Victoria Newland on that. You heard Joe Biden himself on that going back to February. And, um, you know, that's, that's what the international community believes. They're not pretending the way our own media is pretending. Let's hear Jeffrey Sachs follow up on his points. And he, he's not going to pretend. He wants peace. The destruction of uh, the Nord Stream pipeline, which I, I would bet was a U.S. action, perhaps U.S. and, and Poland. Uh, this is uh, hey, Jeff, Jeff, we got to stop there. That's a, that's a quite a statement as well. Why do you feel Absolutely. that that was a U.S. action? What evidence do you have of that? Well, first of all, there's direct radar evidence that U.S. Uh, helicopters, military helicopters that are normally based in Gdansk, uh, were uh, circling over this area. We also had the threats from the United States earlier in this year that one way or another, we are going to end Nord Stream. We also have a remarkable statement by Secretary Blinken last Friday in a press conference. That he says, this is also a tremendous opportunity. It's a strange way to, it's, uh, sorry, it's a strange way to talk if you're worried about the piracy on international infrastructure of vital significance. So I know this runs counter to our narrative. It runs, you're not allowed to say these things uh, in, in, uh, in the West. But the fact of the matter is, all over the world, when I talk to people, they think the okay. U.S. did it. And, just to tell you, and, and by, by the way, even reporters on our papers that are involved tell me privately, yeah, well, of course, but well, it doesn't show up in our, our media. Professor, I, I don't want to get into the tip for Todd about what did All right, so that's Jeffrey Sachs being interviewed on Bloomberg News. All right, and so, of course, the Bloomberg media people, they have to act, oh, no, oh, no, you're not pretending. You have to pretend like we do. You can't get to the truth. You can't get to the point. So they have, like, a little hissy fit over what Jeffrey Sachs is saying, unloading some truth. And that's what I would rather do is unload on truth and stop this pretending crap that has taken this world towards Armageddon, destroying the United States of America. Just kudos to Jeffrey Sachs. And did you heard, heard in that clip where the reporter's like, whoa, 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 you can't say that. What evidence do you have? And then he reels out like, boom, five points of evidence in your face, Bloomberg News host, loser weasel. Well done. Anyway, I kind of like that. And by the way, I found this clip that at least got me thinking about, um, you know, oh, America, of course, wouldn't do the Nord Stream pipeline. But, you know, they, they blocked the Keystone pipeline. That, why, why is it that it uh, seems like the people in power in the West are not fans of pipelines? Remember, Biden stopped the, Larry Summers, the you know, Harvard Clinton guy, said this. Look, we made a mistake by canceling the Keystone pipeline. We made a mistake by slowing down all kinds of permitting uh, activity. We made a mistake by being hostile as a country to uh, natural gas. Yeah, yeah, we did. But uh, uh, does it kind of fit? Does it kind of fit hostility towards pipelines? I'm just throwing it in there, kind of just as circumstantial evidence, you know. The way Biden, day one, shuts down the Keystone Pipeline. And next thing you know, gas prices, four or five bucks plus a gallon in this country. Yeah, good plan for the midterms, Joe Biden. My gosh. And uh, by the way, Aaron Mate is a left-wing commentator. 
that I bring in his clips from time to time. I read his articles for many years now. He's up there with Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi. As truth tellers on the left, the last vestiges of the peace-loving Democrat Party, which maybe they never were. But let's just hear Aaron Mate talk to Tucker Carlson about the uh, about the Nord Stream pipeline. It's pretty amazing when you consider the track record of the people who are telling us that Russia did this. They are the same ones who told us that Russia installed Trump in the White House and blackmailed him with a P-tape. Uh, who told us that Russia placed bounties on U.S. troops in Afghanistan, that Russia was injuring U.S. diplomats with supersonic microwave weapons, and that Russia invented the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop. And we're supposed to take now their claims on faith. When, by the way, at the same time, for many years, those who've been opposing the pipeline, including many of those now accusing Russia of blowing it up, have been telling us the reason they're opposed to it is because it gives Russia leverage over Europe by controlling its right. energy supply. So just think of it logically. Why would Russia blow up its only form of leverage? It does not make any sense. Now, the reason why someone else would want to blow this up from the West, and as you noted, John Kirby, when he was asked by Brett Baer, did not answer the question of whether it could have been a U.S. proxy. He only said that the U.S. was not involved, which to me is very revealing. And the reason why... Uh, the U.S. and its allies have been so opposed to Nord Stream for a long time is because, as was recognized in a 2019 study by the RAND Corporation, which is a U.S. government-funded think tank, you know, the Nord Stream was very profitable for Russia. And also, if it goes through bringing gas from Russia to Germany and the rest of Europe, that makes Europe and Germany more intertwined, which in turn makes it a lot harder to wage a proxy war and impose sanctions on Russia. And that's why this RAND study said a first step to weakening Russia would be stopping Nord Stream 2. So the motive is there, and as you've noted, the intent was made very clear in public, but, we're but somehow we're supposed to not believe all logic and all facts and just believe once again that Russia is behind something that is so drastically against its own interests. Okay, so I think we're making the case here that I think should be very clear to one and all. And Backbone Radio, you know, I see that and instantly... This is what uh, I presume, but I bring out the evidence, of course, and we've just laid it on from various commentators. And um, I think this one is very clear, right? And it's incredibly, incredibly irresponsible of these people to be blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline as we hover around the prospect of Armageddon, as Biden is talking about. Um, I mean... All of that aside, Armageddon aside, do you know how much natural gas, how much of that, how, how much fumes, how many fumes are leaking out into the atmosphere? These people are supposed to be concerned about the environment, right? I mean, these are environmentally um, aware and alert and even paranoid people, as Ozzy Osbourne might say. And yet, um, out of one side of their mouth, they're, they're like all concerned about the environment because, you know, they want to control you, of course, the World Economic Forum and all that. But then on the other side of the mouth, hey, they'll blow something up. They will blow something up. Yeah, if it was them, which I think it was. And uh, wreak all kinds of environmental havoc upon this world. And are the good leftists, are the good environmental people uh, having the right reaction to this? Or are they... Are they so propagandized to the point that this stuff doesn't even occur to them? Question mark? I think you know the answer, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk to a fellow running for 
the State House in District 37. Paul Archer, a Republican candidate. We're going to say hello and help uh, push a really good guy over the line. Yeah, we're saying a solemn farewell to Loretta Lynn tonight. Going from through some of the uh, the deep tracks, the back tracks that our host Dunn's favorites from the glorious Loretta Lynn over. And again, yeah, how many number one hits did Loretta produce over the years? Uh, 24 and 11 number one albums passed away. Passed away this week at the age of 90. We've got more Loretta on the way in this show. And hey, I'm looking forward to a chance to say hello to a fellow who is running for the house, the state house right here in the Denver metro suburbs. I believe a lot of it is in the Centennial area. And I drive through there quite a bit. And I see Paul Archer signs everywhere. Everywhere I go, it's a sign of a very healthy campaign to see these yellow signs that say Paul Archer on them all over the place. And I just thought, you know, heck, I would reach out and say a little hello and get a little uh, information from Paul Archer, again, Republican candidate for House 37. And Paul Archer, welcome to the program. Glad you could uh, spend a moment with us tonight. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. Right on. I I did see this. That Do you have 20 grandchildren? Is this rumor true? Is that 20 of them? Absolutely true. Yes, okay. 20 fabulous grandkids. Five children, they each have four. So you have four kids. I have perfect symmetry, Matt. Two, each of the, my five children have two boys, two girls. So you have 10 grandsons, 10 granddaughters. Oh, my gosh. It's almost like that was orchestrated or something. <laughs> that's, that's pretty yeah. impressive. And I'm sure you know all their names and birthdays, right? Uh, or I don't know. The birthday might be tough at 20. But, uh, and all the names. And I have all the birthdays in my calendar. Okay. <laughs> well, well done. Well, hey, I salute you for throwing your hat in the ring. And I know a lot of folks that know you well, and I have never gotten to meet you in person, but they speak very highly of your skills, your abilities, and your uh, your reasons for running as a Republican. And I might just throw it out there. Uh, do you, you have any uh, special issues or platforms that you're bringing up most in your campaign? Well, I have. Um, yes, I do. By the way, you mentioned Centennial. My district also includes all of Greenwood Village. So if you live in Greenwood Village, you're in House District 37. So it's Greenwood Village and a lot of Centennial. A okay. little bit of unincorporated Republican County. But, Perfect. Um, to, your, to your question, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a business owner and a problem solver. I've been very involved in the community. I looked 11 years ago. Actually, before that, I thought we had a crazy, crazy sales tax system. And 11 years ago, I started a journey to fix our sales tax system. And we have made significant progress uh, in that. We started a nonprofit that represents 15,000 businesses. We've had 11 bills through the legislature. I've worked with um, both parties in the legislature. I've worked with the governor. So we've, we've been able to move that. And then as I look at what's happening in Colorado, um, Matt, are you old enough to remember Ronald Reagan's question of Jimmy Carter? Yeah, I, I am indeed. Um, are you better off now than you were four years ago, that one? Exactly. And so we asked the same question of Colorado. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? So in terms of my priorities, 
if you look at four years till now, we are not better off with crime. We've had a crime explosion. We're in the middle of a crime explosion in Colorado that's only going to get worse if we don't do something. And it's every awful. Day when I'm, it's, it's just awful. amazing. It's awful. And so, yeah, yeah. so that's, that's one of your, your top, top tier items that you're, you're working on going to do something about Absolutely. it's really really bad and i can't tell you how many people i talk to who have all kinds of anecdotal stuff things that are happening to them and their friends where this crime thing it's really getting out of control and that's it seems like it's kind of all on the democrats i mean it, it's it's they a, created it yep they they we used to four years ago we were one of the safest states in the country we decriminalized auto theft we took away cash bail we decriminalized um drug dealing, we decriminalized property crimes. And so predictably, we became the number one place in the country to steal a car. We number one, tragically, number one, number, number one. one, we we tragically are number two in the country in fentanyl death, which is, you, you know, having cars stolen is bad, losing 960 teens and young adults to fentanyl poisoning in one year is Terrible, and we're we are on track in 2022 to lose 1,500 fentanyl deaths. We oh brought that gosh. on ourselves. So this oh. this administration, this leadership at the Capitol, brought that on us. Same with property crime. Um, so all, all of those things were avoidable; didn't have to happen. We can reverse it, but we've got to flip the House. We got to flip the State Senate. We need to flip the governor seat. And need to get more police on the street. We've bled police like crazy. We've lost hundreds of police officers in yep. Metro Denver. Another great and Democrat leftist idea there that's just not working. Correct. Correct. So the second thing are things better than they were four years ago. We have the highest inflation in the country. Now, nationally, inflation is 8.5%. In Colorado, it's more like 15.5%. Wow. And we've, we've done that again to ourselves here. The, the, the incremental 7% is all on us in Colorado, all on the leadership in Colorado. Um, that's, that's a significant problem. It's tough for people. I ran into a woman last Sunday. I was knocking on doors in an apartment complex. She had just pulled in from Walmart, opened her trunk. I said, hey, how was, uh, how was the grocery store? She said, oh, brutal. I hate going to the grocery store. I said, really? She said, it's financially killing me. I can't afford it. And she said, we we have got to um, get different people making decisions in the state. She had no idea who I was, what party I represented. Sure. We're just talking at the trunk of her car. So we're way worse off in terms of affordability than we were four years ago. And then in education, it's it's terrible when you think that 60% of Colorado kids are not reading at grade level or doing math at grade level. 60%. Mm. And if you go into Denver Public Schools, for example, 95% of minority kids are not reading or doing math at grade level. We're failing the, the kids who we need to give a bright future to, and we're in many cases failing people who are the most vulnerable. And so, again, all of that's happened under the current leadership for the last four years. And frankly, you can go back before that because they've been pulling the levers of government longer than four years. And so what we've seen is deterioration of our education system, dramatic deterioration of affordability in Colorado and a crime wave. Yep. 
And uh, Stefan Tubbs, I know you visited with Stefan Tubbs, my colleague on the weekdays, who talks about Denver in decay. And though your centennial Greenwood Village, it'd be nice to not see that Denver decay spread too far and not let it even try to get a headwind into those areas. And it's, it's great. You're knocking on doors. And I have, a, you know, what you're talking about, what you're campaigning on, on crime, fentanyl, um, auto theft, educate. Your campaign seems to write itself. It seems like very obvious scenarios that need to be addressed and need to be fixed. But are you being pretty well received when you talk to people at the trunks of their automobiles <laughs> or knock on their doors? Well, How's it going? At the trunks, at the trunks of their automobiles and at their doors. Yes, yes. Most people, when I ask them, what do you? My first question to them is, what do you care about? And they, they usually hit one of those three things. I mean, ninety. Yep. Eight percent of the time, they hit one of those three things, or they'll hit all three of them, and they bring it up, and they'll say, "We have to do something about these things." They recognize the, the problem. I've had unaffiliated say, "Hey, it's time for a change." I've had Democrats say, "It's time for a change." I've had Republicans say, "It's absolutely time for a change." And you know, to the to the Ronald Reagan question. Is your life better off than it was four years ago? Most Coloradans would say no. They're nervous. They're stressed. Um, things can be better. And we'll, when we make this change in the government on November 8th, we'll make things better. We'll bring in a, a, a really dynamic group of legislators. You know, if you look at the Republican lineup from Joe Day to Heidi and the other statewide uh, folks, Lang and Pam and John, we've got a terrific lineup of people who can make a big, big difference. Right on. Colorado. Yep. And who care about this? And we're talking to Paul Archer, Republican candidate for House District 37, the Greenwood Village Centennial area. And I'll just say this. Go for it, man. Pedal to the metal. I like everything you are saying and everything you are talking about. And like I said, I see your signs all over the place. So your campaign yeah. looks very healthy and very thriving. And uh, it's crunch time now. So uh, so good luck, Paul Archer. Thanks for spending a moment with us on Backbone Radio. All the best to you, sir. Matt, Matt can I make a fun? I wish. I, here's the wall. There we go. A little Sigrid music. Yes, Sigrid of Norway. That's the great tune called Strangers, which I would say Backbone Radio was the first outfit in america to play that song when it came out back in 2017 i believe it was sigrid of norway and she was just in town she played at the ogden and it was a couple nights ago and um or was it last night no it was two nights ago two, something like that oh you don't know he's he's like waving at me <laughs> anyway i couldn't make it i had to be at a conference can you believe it I couldn't make it to the Sigrid concert, and um, anyway, my, my kids think Sigrid is really cool because, uh, you know, Dad found that music. Great swim meet music, great fun, upbeat music. All the family can listen to the lyrics, you know? Anyway, she was in town all the way from Norway, and uh, yeah, I missed it. But if anybody went there, send me a text to studio or give a call. Tell me how the Sigrid show was. I haven't been able to get info. At any rate, we had a great chat just now with Paul Archer, who's running for House District 37, the Republican candidate, and his website, archerforcolorado.com, A-R-C-H-E-R-4-F-O-R, colorado.com. 
There is a donate button there. And again, that's the Centennial Greenwood Village area. And, you know, we, we, we talked to some candidates heading into the election cycle, some that, uh, you know, I get uh, kind of vetted properly and I feel that good feeling about. And uh, last election cycle, we were uh, we got everybody we interviewed got in. And so I like Mr. Archer's chances, especially after having hung out on Backbone Radio. I know he's been on with Stephen Tubbs a little bit. But, oh, my gosh, we're number one in auto theft. After decriminalizing auto theft in this in this state, how 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 ridiculous is Democrat leadership in the state of Colorado? We've got all kinds of problems. The wide open Joe Biden border fentanyl coming through. That's a real concern, folks. And Stephen Thompson is doing some great, great work on that issue. At any rate, I was going to just work in a few little vignettes about uh, hanging out in Elk Camp in Idaho. And I do think it's important, um, you know, my family tree, both on my mother's side and my father's side, all the way back, all directions, it's been a hunting family. And uh, that's something that I have grown up with. And, uh, you know, I've been going hunting since I was a little kid, since I was a little guy, not even, uh, you know, definitely under 10 years old, I'm out there. So I'm a kid who was raised that way. And I think, um, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the media and a lot of the urban culture has lost touch with uh, the hunting world. And some of the some of that culture does not respect hunting at all. But I'm amazed to see and to point out that, I mean, hunting is a thriving, thriving sport and pastime. And, uh, you know, preoccupation of so much of the American people, the heartland of this country, tunes out some of the negativity you hear about hunting. And I am thankful for that. And I am so glad to have been able to have brought my own kids at their young ages. I guess I brought my 11 and my 10-year-old this year on the elk hunting trip so they could learn what that is like. What is that like to go out and go hunting and to, to provide and seek, seek and provide food for your own family? and be involved in everything to do with it and the processes that go along with it um, and the skill sets involved. And so, um, so I'm, I'm glad to have my own children, you know, get, get that sort of introduction. And I think it's, it's an important part of, uh, of Americana, of American history, and it's something that, um, you know, we need to know how to do. And we need to know how to be good at, okay? So um, I feel very strongly about that and so you know we we went out there and um, we ended up um, I was the last one who was able to uh, you know achieve achieve an elk and we hiked all through those hills and I have this watch that'll tell you how how far you've you've gone and we were hitting 10 miles a day going up and down the hills and you know sometimes it gets a little chilly but uh, you know the kids you know they just hang right in there and uh, we were fortunate enough to work with a guide who knows this country very well and it uh, turns out, you know, he was like two years out of the Marine Corps, young guy. <laughs> and so, man, we were motoring through those hills. Kind of fun. By the way, this uh, Marine who we were uh, hunting with, and uh, by the way, my, my cousin, my uncle, uh, my father, um, all uh, also, you know, successful elk hunts. We're going we're gonna to have a good winter in terms of, uh, you know, the meat department. Um, but... Uh, the uh, th- this this marine I was hunting with, he was actually stationed in Norway, 
um, United States Marines stationed up in uh, near Tromso, Norway. Had a lot of interesting stories about what it was like. You know, I guess we're talking about Sigrid of Norway right now, and you know, we've had a you know quite a military presence up in that uh, the Norway region. Um, you know, defending the Arctic, defending Norway, Sweden, Finland, probably, and those regions. But a lot of just fascinating stories. But uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta be uh, in shape. But Tucker Carlson has been doing this series about you know testosterone levels dropping in America and the kind of the war on men and the end of men. And I will say that uh, you know you hang out in a hunting camp. And it's definitely an antidote to those kinds of uh, low-T sentiments you're seeing spread through the media. And in spite, again, of all of that media pressure and the, the media hostility towards manhood and towards maleness, it is having no effect on most of this country and most of the red-blooded males in particular in this country. And I would I would say that, you know, you, you hang out with the, the hunting crowd and the people that uh, come into these areas. You meet all kinds of people from all over the United States. And, uh, you know, you work with some of these folks like the the Marines and the people that have been, you know, Idaho kids, hunting guides and know this this territory so well for so much of their lives that, uh, you know, um, I'll just say that, you know, uh, that they, they don't have some of the issues that some of the wider culture might have. And I am really, really glad to see that. And that wanted to get me into the, you know, the concept of, you know, weightlifting. Tucker Carlson's bringing that up about, uh, you know, he said, hey, it's happy bulking up day. But um, you're seeing um, even weightlifting and attention to fitness being pejoratized or being cast aspersions upon by the media saying that, you know, oh, that's just, you know, um, kind of a retrograde thing to do to lift weights and and that's what, uh, you know, oh, white supremacists are getting really into uh, weightlifting. And it's like the bad people are lifting weights. And I'm like, what? I mean, what is wrong with our media? And what is wrong with our cultural elites? And um, I will just throw this out there that I, I think, you know, weightlifting is one of the best things that we can be doing. And um, since the end of COVID, got the, uh, the gym membership back and uh, hitting that weight room pretty darn hard, hitting it pretty hard. And... Um, and I think that's one thing you can think of is that I, I, I know a, a listener to this program somewhat well who is in his, uh, I believe, early, mid-70s, and you would not believe the muscles on this guy. You would not even believe it. He says people are constantly asking him when he goes to the weight room and lifts, like, gigantic amounts of weight, how old are you again? How old are you? <laughs> um, but I think for health-wise, if you can get your bones a little thicker, and add as much muscle on as possible, and the younger you start doing that, the better, that uh, you're going to set yourself up for a lot better um, lifespan and even aging process. And you don't want to just dive in trying to lift huge amounts. You want to just lift moderate amounts, you know, and slowly, slowly with discipline work yourself up to to higher levels. And um, in spite of the negative stuff you hear from the media, I would say uh, I, I am an active encourager of bodily fitness, of good posture, and of an active weightlifting regimen pursued with discipline. Find time in your day to do that. And uh, yeah, Cameron Haynes, the bow hunter. I'm inspired by that guy. He takes no days off. He's like in his mid-late 50s now. Guy runs a marathon a day, lifts weights every day. I'm impressed. Let's do it.